Uh, that video is there to remind you that what we experienced, you know, the spring we experienced earlier this past week was, well, what we call first spring, okay? You can expect a little more winter before we get to second spring, which might happen this week, and then maybe third spring. You just know how it goes around here. Actually, that video is a gentle introduction into a new three-part series of messages that will lead us into Easter, and uh, we're calling the series The Blessing, How to Get It, How to Give It, and I'll say right from the beginning that how you get God's blood is blessing and giving it away are closely linked together. And today we just want to take a look at God's heart to bless. A year ago, I picked up a book by Mark Batterson, the pastor of National Community Church in Washington, called Double Blessing. I did not get around to reading it until some beach time this past February. And as I read the book, I realized I, I needed to adjust our preaching schedule that I'd laid out and with a little help from Batterson, talk about this reality, this, this really powerful but misunderstood concept of blessing found throughout the pages of the Bible. So much of this three-week series I'm taking directly from Batterson. But we really do long to be blessed. Blessing is perhaps, you know, the most ancient of longings that God has placed in our hearts. And the good news is that God longs to bless us beyond our ability to ask or imagine. That's why the Apostle Paul writes these words of worship that you often hear at Fort City. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, that's blessing. Now, in Greek mythology, there is a legend about a labyrinth that was inescapable. Some of you will know the legend. Uh, those who entered never exited because within that maze there was a minotaur, a, a fearsome creature that was half man and half bull lurking around the place. Every nine years, the evil king of Crete demanded that the Athenians send seven boys and seven girls to be sacrificed to the minotaur. You might imagine, right, that the Athenians did not love this tradition very much. On the occasion of what was called the Third Minotaur Games, uh, Theseus, the prince of Athens, volunteered himself as a tribute to this minotaur, which is just a nice way of saying he was willing to be the sacrifice to save other lives. When, when Theseus landed on Crete, the daughter of the Cretan king, Princess um, Ariadne, fell, well, she just fell head over heels in love with Theseus. She knew, however, that no one who ever ventured into this labyrinth ever made their way out. So she devised a rather ingenious plan. Ariadne gave Theseus a sword with which to slay the minotaur and, more importantly, a, a ball of thread. Theseus tied one end to the entrance and then he unwound the ball as he meandered all through this maze. And after the slaying the minotaur with a sword, Theseus walked his way out of that labyrinth following the thread. Hold that thought. Friends, life is a labyrinth, right? It's full of, a it's full of relational twists and occupational turns that we just didn't see coming. We zig through big decisions and zag through bad decisions. There are situations we just get ourselves into that we do not know how to get ourselves out of, and, and we encounter minotaurs all along the way. Some of you work for one, right? Half man, half bull, right? I, I think navigating our way through difficult seasons of life, it, it can feel like we're lost in a labyrinth. I think addiction feels this way. 
I, I think depression feels this way. I, I think grief feels this way. But what I want you to know today is that there's a way out. There's a ball of thread. But, but we've got to go all the way back to the beginning to find our way forward. And by back to the beginning, I, I mean back to the beginning of the world, back to when the first man and woman were created, back to the first two chapters of the Bible. Let me start with these words. Let us make man in our image. This is a side observation, but this is a picture we have of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who are working together to create the first human being. And we read further. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What I want you to see in that passage is that there's a double emphasis on the fact that human beings, men and women, are created in the image of God. God really wants us to get this, that we're created in his image, so it's repeated twice there. God wants us to understand that there is no human being that you will ever meet who is not created in God's image and who does not in some way reflect God's image. Friends, if we don't understand whose image we're created in, it, it just leads to mess, emotional mess, insecurity, mental health mess. The foundation of who you are is that you are God's creation made in his image part of our mantra here at fort city is everyone is welcome because everyone is loved by god everyone is his beloved creation and everyone reflects god's image in this world you are made in god's image that means you are invaluable and that means that you are irreplaceable we're still in Genesis 1, and God has just created man and woman, humankind in his image. And what does Genesis say immediately after God created the human race? Then God blessed them. And I'm going to stop mid-sentence there because we usually read that very quickly and keep going. At least that's what I've always done to this point. But Mark Batterson made a statement that stopped me in my tracks and forced me to slow down and to reread Genesis 1 and 2 over several times. So I'm trying to grasp this idea that the first thing God did after he created human beings was to bless them. When Batterson throws out this statement, before original sin, there was original blessing. Before original sin, there was original blessing. That thought blew me away. I hadn't quite seen it that way before. Now we're going to get into some deep theology here, but it's important stuff. The order here is important. If we get the order wrong, our understanding of God gets distorted. If we get the order wrong, it alters the way we relate to God. If we doubt original blessing, we second-guess the goodness of God and, and we relate to God for all sorts of wrong reasons. I did. Let me take you to my first day of school, grade one, at St. Joseph's Roman Catholic School in a suburb of Montreal called Baydurfe. My, my grade one teacher had a passion for Bible stories and a passion for Jesus. And the very first Bible lesson she gave us was about the fall of man, when sin first entered the world. Briefly, she talked about the creation of the world and the creation of Adam and Eve and how Adam and Eve were living in paradise. But as she told the story, it got dark and scary very quickly. She had pictures to put up on the board. A picture of Eve looking longingly at a tree whose fruit she was told not to eat. 
The only rule that God gave was don't eat the fruit from that tree. She had a picture of a snake that was the devil who came to tempt evil Eve and tell her, hey, hey, don't listen to God. You can eat that fruit. That fruit is absolutely amazing. God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because if you do, you'll become just like him. And then you have Adam a little bit off in the distance looking in on the conversation and Eve likes what she hears and she eats and gives the fruit, an apple, a pear. We don't know. It was a, an apple my, my teacher put on the board and Eve gives it to Adam who also eats. And then all hell breaks loose. All right, not quite hell itself, but man, it got really dark and scary in that classroom and my, as my teacher skillfully told the story. And guilt overtakes both Adam and Eve. They run and hide and cover their nakedness. God enters the scene and curses Adam and Eve and throws them out of paradise. Did I tell you that this was my very first Bible story that I ever heard? This is my first encounter with the God of the Bible. And I learned that the curse God pronounced on Adam and Eve was then passed on to every human being. My teacher called this original sin, and she used that term, and I remember that. And we were all cursed by this original sin because of Adam and Eve. I don't know that my teacher meant to do this. She was actually a really good teacher. But the picture I got of God was that he can get really ticked and angry and, and that unless I was perfectly obedient, I too would be in trouble in, with God. It might have been one of the ways that she was trying to create order in the classroom. But anyways, it was around grade 10 in high school that I shifted from attending the Catholic church that was part of my family tradition, heritage, to a Protestant evangelical church. I would be quick to find out that original sin was a big deal in Protestant churches as well. It was a bishop by the name of Augustine who in the 4th century helped the church develop a, a biblical theology of original sin. Not that it wasn't taught before, but he really is the guy to embed this teaching in the church. His teaching was picked up very strongly in the Protestant Reformation by guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin, and, and Calvin just pushed this a lot further. And what happened is the church very quickly forgot about the idea of original blessing and got very much fixated on original sin. My grade one teacher, she was very fixated on original sin, but so was my first Protestant church. Now hear me. I believe in original sin. I believe that from the sin of Adam, we have all inherited a sin nature. That sin is deeply entrenched in who we are, even in our DNA. Hey, Jane and I raised three sinners. And the very first English words they spoke were words like, no, mine. So I, I, I don't doubt the sin nature at all. You, you see it everywhere. But I don't think it's healthy. I don't think this is the way God intends things to be. That our very first memory of God is his anger at sin. It's true. Sin displeases God. Sin separates us from God if we don't seek God's forgiveness, you know, through Jesus. You see, my, my first pictures of God were pictures of a God who was angry way back at the beginning because of the sin of Adam and Eve, and that God is angry at me today because of my sin. Protestant or Catholic, the picture was the same. And it's not that the picture is wrong. It's just that we've let original sin overshadow original blessing. But I think you and me... Um, and our kids, we need to learn about original blessing first, that our God loves us, that he is for us, 
And that his very first act when he created uh, man and woman was to bless them. Hear me out. But I think we need to know that we're blessed first and sinners second. You see, Adam and Eve's very first picture of God was not original sin. It was original blessing. Blessing sets the tone for their understanding of God. Blessing establishes an emotional baseline. They were blessed first, and they knew that they were blessed. Now, very quickly, sin enters and does just devastating damage, dysfunction, pain, imperfection, greed, falsehoods, violence, all become a part of their daily lives. But none of this changes the fact that we are all made in God's image and that God's first inclination towards us is to bless us. You see, we just don't inherit a sin nature from Adam and Eve. We also inherit this longing for blessing. There is a longing in each of us to, to be blessed, to, to be celebrated for who we are, to, to be accepted for who we are, to be loved with no agenda, no strings attached, no ifs, ands, or buts. Hear me. You are loved just as you are. Really, you are loved just as you are. This is not based on anything that you've done or not done. You are loved because of who you are, and more important, because of whose you are. You are God's creation. You are the image of God. You are God's workmanship. You are the apple of God's eye. This is where we must start when we think about God. You know, when we teach about God, when we relate to God. Yes, sin is devastating. Yes, sin separates us from God. But God so loves us, God so loves you that, that God wants to bless you and, and he's made a way through the death and resurrection of Jesus for your sin to be forgiven so that you can step into the blessed life he so wants you to have. Okay. What happens in a family when a mother or a father hold back on blessing their children? It, it creates a gap in the life of the child and, and that gap stays with them as they grow up. Sometimes that gap might feel like insecurity. It, it might feel like loneliness. That gap causes pain in the life of a child. I, I, I think of a story here of, in the book of Genesis, it's in uh, chapters 25 to 28 if you want to read it on your own sometime. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. In this culture back then, the blessing of the father uh, was reserved for the firstborn son. I'm not sure that this is a great thing, at least it's not in this story, because very quickly this kind of human tradition created envy and hurt. We read of young Jacob yearning to be blessed so that he steals the birthright of his older brother and steals his blessing because he's just so desperate to be blessed. And in an incredible sad scene in the book of Genesis, you have uh, the older brother Esau pleading with his father uh, when his brother gets the blessing, have you only one blessing, father? Surely you can bless me as well. But his father Isaac said that it was not possible to share the blessing of birthright, and, and that just broke Esau's. We read in the scripture that he just wept loudly. He wept uncontrollably. He was broken. What happens? When you and I get caught in the brokenness of this world and, and we don't live from a place of original blessing. What happened to Esau is what happens to you and me. Let me read. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because of their father had given Jacob the blessing. 
and Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The yearning to be blessed can create that, that destructive of an emotion. Friends, this is huge. I mean, so many of our emotional issues, our, our greed, our, our lust, our anger, our pride, our jealousy, they come from this place of woundedness, this, this place of emptiness, this, this lack of blessing. And it is something that only God's blessing can heal. Only God's blessing can make you whole. Only God's blessing can make up for what you didn't get. You need the blessing of God. So you got to take your woundedness to God. You need to pray. You, you need prayer, even prayer from our prayer team or, or our soul care course where, that we teach from time to time here that deals with this kind of woundedness. Only God can give you the blessing that you need. Hey, for some of you, I know that your family of origin felt more like a curse than a blessing. I, I get that. I think of my family of origin. It really is a mixed deal of curse and blessing. I don't think the blessings outdo the other. But, uh, the, and there's an interesting story here that I don't have time to time, maybe in another message. But what I just want to say is in every family, there is this mix of curse and blessing. And it's a little different from family to family. But deep in each of our hearts, there is a yearning to recover any blessing that was lost because blessing is the most ancient of longings that God has placed in our hearts. To help you uh, understand this, let me put it this way. I cannot not love my kids. Same deal with you. That was true when they lived at home, and it's still true now. You know, they're adults out living on their own. It, it doesn't depend on how they're doing. It's, it's not contingent on what they accomplish. My love is not cut short by any mistakes they made, any failures they have. There is nothing that can change my default setting as an earthly father. I cannot not love my kids. You too. How much more true is this of God's love for you and me? The Apostle Paul puts it like this. I mean, these are words you need to just drink in. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul also writes, and now these things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the foundation. Love is God's default setting. Love is our fallback position. This is why we can live life from a position of, of original blessing. Friends, it flows from love. And, and really, this is just what I wanted you to hear today. God loves you. His passion to bless flows from his love. Yes, our sin broke our relationship with him. Yes, our sin made a mess of this world. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son to bless us with the gift of life now and forever to bless us with life to the full, to bless us with salvation, so that whoever chooses to believe in Jesus will be blessed. Now, I haven't really told you and given you a good definition yet of what blessing is or isn't. Because of time, you're just going to have to wait till next week for me to unpack that a bit more. But what I really want you to walk out of here with is, is just this sense of how much God loves you and how much he wants to bless you. Before you beat yourself up about what a sinner you are and some of the deep, dark, and maybe awful, awful things that you've done, the sin that's pushed you and God apart, 
What you need to know is that no matter what, when God looks at you, his heart wells up with love and his desire is to lead you into a blessed life. That's why he sent Jesus in the first place. Okay. There might be a handful of you who remember an old chorus. You probably have to be older, but it it came out of the Old Testament Song of Solomon. and, And it goes like this. He leads me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. The banqueting table is a picture of blessing. The foundation is love. The most ancient instinct that's been planted in a human being is blessing. The first thing God did when he created us, he blessed us. God wants you to live from a position of original blessing. He died on the cross to secure that blessing for you and me. But you and me, we have to make a choice. We have to choose to go to our Father and ask for the blessing. And He can bless more than we could ever ask or imagine. It does mean asking for forgiveness. But with forgiveness comes blessing. You yearn for blessing, you do. And our God yearns to bless you, He does. Friends, be blessed, for that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So with that, will you join me as I pray? Father God, I thank you that core to who you are is love you love us and from the very beginning your passion has been to bless us your children and God I I just pray that you would meet us right here right now and speak to each one of us speak your words of love to us and would you reveal your heart towards us your heart to bless us and and father where there's sin in our lives that uh, robs us of your blessing would you forgive us and I thank you Lord that your blessings are unique as our as our fingerprints, and so is your mercy, and so is your grace. I just pray your blessing on each person here today. May we drink deeply of your blessing that you made possible by the cross. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.